Welcome to The Gathering Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we are going to be starting a new series. And it's one of those series that comes about just so organically as we just feel the Holy Spirit is leading us from, from week after week. And, and what it brought me back to was the story of creation found in Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to start here in Genesis chapter 1 and read verses 1 through 19. And I would encourage you to read along with me because there is something very specific that is emphasized in this creation story that maybe we haven't seen here before. And so we're going to start in Genesis 1-1, which we could all quote by heart, I'm sure. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was an evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits, trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds. And trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Now this, as we listen to the story of creation, is a story that we do know very well, but often it's a story that we can just read through very quickly without really diving into the specifics of what is being recorded here. And we say this a lot, but when we read through the Bible, we can't just read it like it's a story, like it's a book. We have to be those who are willing to study it, to go deeper into it, to investigate it, to see the clues that are being given to us, and and not just to, to brief over them, but to go deeper and to see what God is saying. And so as the story of creation is being written, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, that's a lot of detail. You're talking about trees and seeds and fruit and and the light and the dark and all these different things. And and my question is, why why is Moses going into this detail to recount the story of creation? But we know that if it's here, there's a purpose for it, right? If it's being written here, there is something that God is speaking to us in this narrative of creation, and it's intentional 
and it's important for us to look at. And so as I'm reading through here, I'm starting to see this pattern that begins to emerge in the creation story. There is a distinction that God is making time and time again throughout these six days, throughout this creation week. He looks out at what he's creating, and as he's doing it, it says that he separates six things in particular. One, the heavens from the earth. Two, the light from the darkness. Three, the morning from the night. Four, the expanse from below and the expanse above. We see the earth being separated from the sea, and then even the animals in the sea from the animals on earth. It also talks about the lights that would differentiate between the day and the night and the seasons and the years. There is something that God is doing in speaking the universe into creation that he's not just bringing about all that we know, but he's bringing order to it. He's bringing a distinction between various things. And when the Bible is clear in saying that he did this and he separated, then who knows we need to pay attention to what he's doing and to perhaps why he's doing it. You see, God went through intentionally, and as he created, there was an expression coming out of him into the world around us. You know that any creation is the expression of its creator? That as God was speaking the world into existence, that it was an expression of his nature, of who he was, And so as I'm reading this, I'm looking at these distinctions that he's making. And what I see him doing is making a clear distinction for us to see that which is above and that which is below. That which is light and that which is dark. That which is greater and that which is lesser. And it's these distinctions this morning that I want to pay attention to. There is something that God is very clearly putting on display for all that would come. Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 and 2 in the New King James Version says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell within, there within. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The Creator, the earth is is in the domain of the creator the creations in domain of the creator and so as he's doing this he is putting parameters in place because he's about to bring somebody into the equation and he needs this to be clearly established so in the verses leading up to verse 26 every time god creates something he says and god created this thing and god said let there be light and god said let there be this separation that would occur But then he gets to verse 26, and he uses a different word. And when I see this word, it makes me pay attention. It's no longer and, he says then. All of the things that happened up to verse 26 were and, he was creating and he was creating. But then we get to verse 26, where it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Everything up to that point was in preparation for what God was then going to create, which was man. Everything up to that point had been an expression of God. 
Everything that he had spoke, everything that he had separated, everything that he had designed, it was an expression of his nature. But now in verse 26, he was creating those that would not just be an expression, those that would be a reflection of him. There was something about this part of creation that was going to be different from all that had gone before. And it was going to be that man and woman were going to be the reflection of God himself. And once again, God is very specific in that he creates man and woman, male and female. He doesn't say one is greater than the other. He says about everything else that it's good. But then when he looks at man, he says it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to bring him a partner. And the two of them are going to fulfill all that I've called them to do. But there was a clear distinction. A clear identity that was drawn from the very beginning. So we have man and woman. They are now in the garden. And I'm skipping through a little bit here today. But as we go through this series, we're going to get deeper into different elements of this. And I have to tell you, I'm really excited about certain parts of this, this series. So, so stick with me. This is some foundational work we're doing here. But Genesis chapter 2, we see that Moses is now kind of recounting everything that happened in chapter 1. And he says something very interesting in Genesis 2 verse 4. It says, this is the account, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. But this word account is actually the word for generations. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that generally when we talk about generations, we're talking about people. But in this account, he's talking about the specific way that God ordered everything that he did in creation. He wasn't talking about the generations of people. He was talking about the generation, the order, the account of what God had done in the garden. And, and to me, this points to how significant all of the garden was. This, once again, or, or maybe to say for the first time, this was the place where man and woman were supposed to exist. This is what was supposed to be their home. There was a lot of time and attention put into all of creation. And we see the purpose that God gives to man in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord sprung up every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. And it's, it's talking about how God is now creating man and woman with a purpose. And also, as with any good story, we see that there is a tension that is forming in this moment. Who knows that for any good movie or any good television show that there's a moment of tension, right? I don't tend to like that part of the movie, if I'm honest. I mean, sometimes it's good, but if I've seen the movie before, I'm like, okay, I want to fast forward past all the tension and just get to the good part. Anyone else like me? All the film buffs are like, you're terrible. Like this, this, this is, we, don't, we don't want to skip past the tension. The tension's part of it. And this, of course, is part of this. God says to man and woman, be fruitful and multiply. Go into all the earth and subdue it. But then it says that God places them in the midst of the garden. And in their midst, he places two things. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Once again, we have two distinctions. We had light and darkness. We had morning and evening. We had the sun and the moon. And now we have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Once again, God is saying that there is a distinction that is being drawn between these two things. There is that which is light and that which is darkness. There is that which brings life and that which brings death. Genesis 2 verses 15 and 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the part of the story where the question often comes up, but why? Man and woman, Adam and Eve, were living in paradise. They were in God's perfect will. Why would God put in the middle of paradise two trees, one specifically, that if they ate from it would separate them from him forever? And maybe you've heard this explanation, and and it's true, that in order for man, for mankind, to actually express its love for God, there had to be a choice present for them to say yes to him and to say no to something else. God doesn't create robots. He, He created mankind with the ability to choose him and to express our love for him by saying, yes, I choose what you have given me, and I'm saying no to the part of me that serves myself. There was a yes, and and if you're paying attention, if you're part of our small groups, which I encourage you, if you're not already, go join one. It's not too late. Part of this series we're talking about in Relationships 101 is that three words that are equivalent to I love you are the three words that say I choose you. It's easy to say I love you. I'm, I'm so filled with this emotion of love. I love you, baby. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. But there's something different about saying I choose you. Because it's easy to love when things are all going perfectly. But when things get difficult, do we still continue to choose, to choose what is right, to choose what we truly love, to choose what what we are called to go after? So God gives them these two options. He gives them the ability to choose. And, And in this, we see free will coming on the scene. We see the ability to choose coming, to choose that which brings life or to choose that which brings the allure and the illusion of everything that we don't have. A tree that along with many others is going to bring life and a tree that promises to bring death. You see, we see this taking place and and what I see in this moment when the two trees are being presented is that our ability to choose is of the utmost importance. That our ability to choose is part of our identity in being created in the image of and the likeness of God. That our ability to decide is so significant, and it's our ability to choose that clearly expresses what our lives are meant to be and what they will become. If you hear nothing else that I have set up to this point, I want you to hear this. You were created to choose. You were created to choose, and in that ability to choose, you will find the expression of all that your life is and all that it will become. That our ability to choose right from wrong, yes from no, good from evil, light from darkness, is such a significant part of who we have made to be, but very often we lose sight of the significance of our ability 
to choose God or to choose us. You see, this is exactly why God spoke so clearly about the distinctive identities of all that he was creating in creation. There's a reason why he was saying there is good and there is evil. There is light, there is dark, there is what is above and there is what is beneath. It's because God needed to show us that there is a clear decision that needs to be made. And that decision is going to bear fruit. As I was sitting there in worship, I was just thinking about this passage again. Because I have to tell you, every time I've read this passage, just preparing for today, there's something else that stood out to me. So first service didn't get this, but but second service you're going to. It, It says that each tree is going to produce fruit, and in that fruit is going to be the seed that is going to produce more fruit. And there is something about the tree of life and the fruit that is produced out of it that is coming out of the seed with the identity that God intended for it to become. Which means that when we eat from the tree of life, There is fruit that is coming in us from the seed of life, which means that it is going to bring life into our bodies. When we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we have to recognize that the seed in the fruit is out of self-reliance, self-identity, self-understanding, self-righteousness, and all this tree is going to produce is death and more of me. I want to just say this as well. There is something today, and, and we're going to be taking communion today. I'm very excited about it because it's, it's a very intentional thing that we're doing. But I truly believe today that as we were in worship, I was thinking about this, that there is something that God is showing us in this tree of life that is going to be bringing fruit of health into our physical beings. That there is something that in our understanding of what it is to choose the tree of life that is going to be unlocking something within us. That there is going to be health, that there is going to be healing, and there is going to be restoration in physical bodies as we understand the truth of what God is saying here in his word. I am so happy three of you are excited with me here today. The thing is, is that... As I say, we have been created to choose. We don't always understand the significance of the choice that we're making. We make decisions all day, every day, and very rarely do we think about the significance of the choices we're making. There are so many choices that we make and we think, well, this is not life or death, but what if it is? This is not life or death, but when we're making a decision based out of our own understanding, our own ability, the things that we think and the things that we feel instead of the tree of life, guess what? It is life or death. But what the enemy has so effectively done by keeping us busy and keeping us distracted is diluting the power of the choice that we have to seek him and to attach to the true source. In the busyness of life and in the the awareness of our emotions and our feelings, we've become so connected to doing things because this is the way that I've always done it instead of understanding that there is a better way and that just because it makes sense here does not mean it's what God is speaking here and I've got to connect to the right source. But the enemy will continually bring us back to the place of using our own logic and our own reasoning. And he will. He'll, he'll distort. He'll dilute. He'll blur the lines of what is right and what is wrong and what our decisions actually mean. 
this happens on a regular basis. And, and what I see in this is that the enemy does not need to convince us that God doesn't exist. He just needs us to live like it. The enemy doesn't need us to become atheists in order for us to be ineffective in what we've been called to do. He just needs us to keep going back to the tree of what makes sense in my own mind, coming out of alignment with the truth of what he has said in his word. We have to understand, first and foremost, that there is a choice. Some of us in this room have lived life like we don't have a choice. We have done the things that we've always known to do because this is what we have seen and this is what we've experienced and we've learned to find comfort in different things. This is all that there is. And we live life like we don't actually have a choice. Can I tell you that when you were created in the image and the likeness of God, That from your first breath on earth, you were given the power and the authority to choose that which is life or that which is death. There are situations in our life that we have continued to go back to the same things over and over and over again. Because we have been unable to disconnect from that cerebral place of it has to make sense in order for me to say yes to it. There is a choice. It's the places in our life where this person did this to me, so I did this thing. Like, I didn't have a choice. It's the place in me, like, this person was so annoying, or they were so, they were so mean, or they were so this, or they were so that, that that's why I did this thing. This is something we deal with with our kids that are five and six. She did that to me, so I did this thing, and I'm like, no, no, no. You have the ability to choose. Once again, this is part of Relationships 101. You are powerful people with the ability to choose what your response is going to be. You don't get to respond in anger anymore because that person did that thing to you and now you have the license to act like a jerk to somebody because you think that their action has dictated your response. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have, but all things now have become new. We don't get to do things the way that we've always done them because they made sense to us. We have to realize that there is a choice. And number two, not just that there is a choice, but there is a right choice. There is a right choice. There is significance in what we choose. There is significance in what we say yes to in our life and what we allow to have influence inside of us. But the world would like to tell you that no matter what you choose, no matter what you want, no matter what you feel, well, all roads are going to lead to the same place. It doesn't matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter what, what theology you subscribe to. As long as you do the best you can and you have a good intention inside of you, well, everything's going to be okay. The world wants to dilute that there is a right and there is a wrong. They want to take away the idea that there is a standard. And unfortunately in our lives, maybe not in the ways that seem really bad, like we're not out there doing all the terrible things that the world does, but we've still walked in unforgiveness and we've still allowed bitterness to grow in our hearts. And we still turn to things on a regular basis that we shouldn't be because, well, it just it's just what makes me feel better. Can I tell you that there is a right and there is a wrong? 
There, there is a right choice to be made. And the further that we go down this road of being led by our emotions and our feelings, the more we're going to eat off of this fruit and the more that death is going to be reproduced in our lives. But there is a choice. And there is a choice in so many areas of our life and often we just don't see it because we're not paying attention to the things that are going on in our, in our inner being because we've become so distracted by, by technology and, and by all the things of life that we don't stop long enough to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. There is a choice. There is an ability to choose that which is right. There is the ability to step out of the place of judgment. A couple of Wednesdays ago, my mom spoke about judgment and how it attaches us to this tree. I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't already, because judgment will always tell us what we don't have. Adam and Eve were in the midst of the Garden of Eden with everything they could ever ask for. And yet there was something when the enemy said, did God really say? Because he knows that when you eat from that tree that you're going to have all that you want. There was a judgment that was made in their heart. And they connected to the tree of what I don't have instead of the tree of I have more than enough. Can I be even more honest with you here this morning? I told the first service I need at least 50% to acknowledge that I have permission to be real with you here today. All right. There are things that we don't want to talk about because there's buttons we don't want to press because there's things that we have disconnected from this understanding that there is a right and a wrong, a life and a death. We've looked at certain areas in our life and we've resigned them to the area of logic and reasoning and we've disconnected them from the tree of life. There are places in our life, something as important as our finances, that we have continued to go back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. That we've trusted more in the number in our bank account or, or what we have or what we want to go after instead of trusting God with all that he has given to us. We've looked at the statistic, 9% of Christians tithe. Which tree are we connected to when we are unwilling to trust God with what we have because in our own reasoning, and listen, I want to say this with grace and humility because I, I'm not in any way pointing fingers at anybody, but very often we do this math in our head that I don't have enough to give to God. I don't have enough to give to God. What fruit are we eating from when I say I don't have enough? But if I were to come over here and to realize that God has everything I could ever need, he, has, he is my provider, He is my source, then what is giving money to Him when I know that He has it all? That's, that's a big one. What about our time? What do we invest our time in? For the first time in a long time, the Barna Group says that 48% of Christians actually read the Bible. Which is like, they were looking at us like, hey, we're in the right direction. But I'm like, 48%, less than half of Christians, not the population, just Christians, are taking the time to read the Word. What about the things that we go to for comfort? The emotions that we turn to because they feel good the emotions that we allow to exist, and just to, hey, let's be honest, sometimes it feels good to be mad. No one else wants to acknowledge that with me? 
sometimes it feels good to be in a bad mood. It feels good to wallow in some of that stuff. Which tree are we eating from when we stay in that place? Just a question. You don't need to give me an answer. What about the things that we make allowances for in our life, the things we give ourselves license to do, the relationships that we allow ourselves to speak to people in ways that we shouldn't, or the places where we think we have the answer so we can not be kind to other people, the things that we go to to comfort ourselves, whether it's alcohol or it's pornography or if it's places of just you know disconnecting so that I can be in my daydream over here and I don't have to look at reality. What about those things? Do I still have permission? What about the places in our health with what we eat, what we don't eat, how much we eat, what we put into our bodies? What about recognizing that we are spirit, soul, and body, and that instead of completely neglecting our physical body, that we've been called to take care of it? What about the things that we put into our bodies? Let's be real here today. We've just gone through a season in this world, in our nation, where we have very often allowed fear and the information of the world to dictate what we are going to put in our bodies. We have allowed everything going on in the world system to dictate my decisions and what I'm going to choose. And I just have to ask this question. What tree are you choosing to eat from when you are allowing the world to dictate what is right or wrong? What about in politics? What about in the places where we say, I would never vote for this person because of the way that they made me feel or the thing that they said? What about the places where we have determined that, that this is the only answer and there is no other answer? What about the places where we have the ability to choose, but instead of going to look at, are we eating off the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're making all these decisions based off of the way that we feel? Now, the reason I bring this up is very significant here today in my eyes because we are living right now in a world and in a time where everything is continuing to be chaotic, where everything is continuing to go towards a place of of self-reliance and reliance on the government and all these other things. Where do we as Christians stand? I sat in that prison where Paul sat as a prisoner because... He wasn't willing to stop doing what God had called him to do because he knew that he served God instead of man. And as I said, there are certain areas that we don't want to look at and we don't want to talk about because they're uncomfortable. And I'm not standing up here today to say you have to make this decision or not to make that decision. But what I am saying to you today is that we as the church can no longer afford to be more connected to that tree where the rest of the world is gathering its information from, the emotions that come up instead of the tree of life of what God is speaking. Do you know that things are not necessarily getting easier in the world that we live in? They're not even predictable, except for that they seem to be getting worse. But God has placed us here for such a time as this. And what that means to me is that I cannot afford to be connected to any source 
that is running contrary to the word of God and what he is speaking. I cannot allow the fruit of my emotions and feelings and understanding to be the thing that determines my decisions for myself, for my family, for my church, for my community. I I can't allow it anymore. And there are so many things in our lives that, that we don't look at and we don't pay attention to because it's easier just to keep it moving than to stop and to ask Holy Spirit, what's the source of, of this decision that I'm making right now? Can I tell you that since I've started looking at this, there have been so many decisions where I've just had to ask myself, Sam, what tree are you eating off of? What tree are you allowing to fuel the motivations and the decisions that you're making? And if you would allow him to, the Holy Spirit is so good at taking any situation that you're going through and highlighting where are you eating from, what's your source, what's determining your decisions, is it me or is it the the choices of the world? Because if we start to excuse me, to recognize this, then what we start to see is that, that I have another option. I have another option, and it's not what I've always done. It's not who I've always been. There is something better. Because number three, not just do we have, not that is there, there is a choice, not just that there is a right choice, but that we have been empowered to make the right choice. It's not in our own ability to choose all that that is going to be perfect, that we have to live these perfect lives. We, we make the best decisions we can sometimes. And, and once again, I want to have grace for every person in this room because I need to have grace for myself. There are times where I just don't make the right decisions, where I allow my emotions to, to be the driving force. But when I recognize that I have been empowered to choose what he has for me, when I recognize that Jesus the Savior of the world. He came to the earth in the form of a man, that He gave everything, that He was hung on a tree so that we could be set free and being given the the redemption from our sins and our brokenness and our shame. I have the ability to choose and to say yes to all, to all that He has been made possible, that He has made possible for me. But will I take the time to choose? Will I take the time to recognize? Will I invite the Holy Spirit into those places so that I could choose Him above all else? 